Hi friends, thank you for tuning in to the Concussion Coach Podcast. I'm Bethany Lewis, the Concussion Coach. I'm a neurological occupational therapist and certified life coach, and I specialize in guiding people through their concussion recovery journey. I am passionate about helping people understand their injury, speed up their recovery, and reclaim control over their life post-concussion. The purpose of this podcast is to help increase awareness of concussions and the impact they can have on a person's life, and to bring hope to people who have suffered a concussion and those who love them. I firmly believe that sharing stories and knowledge about concussions will bring important light and understanding to this misunderstood and often invisible injury. The information in this podcast is meant to bring that awareness and hope and is not meant as medical advice. The opinions shared are those of the interviewees and my own. If you are suffering with lingering concussion symptoms, I have created a concussion coaching program specifically for you. I will be your mentor to guide you through your recovery journey, offering help with understanding and managing your symptoms, setting achievable goals, and learning how to manage your own thoughts and nervous system in order to get control over your life again. If this program sounds like something that would help you or someone you love, sign up for a free consultation. In the consultation, you'll get valuable information and resources and gain hope for your future. Sign up for your free consultation at the link in the show notes or at my website, www.theconcussioncoach.com. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Concussion Coach Podcast. Today, I get to interview Taya James, who was introduced to me by Ali Rayum, who I interviewed on episode number 46. Taya has had multiple concussions, which led her to leaving her career in agriculture to pursue a master's in speech-language pathology. She also does content creation and brain injury advocacy and is based in New Zealand, which I particularly love because I spent a good amount of time in Australia and feel a strong connection (laughs) to countries down on that side of the world. (laughs) So I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for being here, Taya. I'm fizzing to be here. And I will say there's an invitation for you if you ever find your way down in New Zealand. Thank you. I will be there (laughs) packing my bags right now. So why don't we start with you telling us a little bit more about you? Like what brought you to this point in your journey? What were you doing with agriculture? Just give us a little bit of background before we jump into like the more of the injury side of things. Yeah, definitely. So I will start with agriculture. It's kind of where my journey starts in the brain injury space. So I was what we call a soil nutrient specialist. So I worked with farmers looking and helping give advice around how we can grow crops and grow grass for their farms in a way that is sustainable, profitable, nutritious, and looking at all those factors coming together, which was really cool. I loved it. I had some amazing farmers in the mix. And whilst I was doing that, I had four concussions in the space of two years. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. The eyebrows. They were all related to adrenaline, I would say. So we had uh, horse riding, go karting, uh, dancing, and skydiving. Okay, yes, Mm -hmm. adrenaline. It sounds like that's an accurate description. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. And some of them, they were all different. So the first one and the fourth one put me out of full time work and took a bit of recovery and rehab. The fourth one in particular, a lot of rehab. And there's still things that I navigate today. That was back in 2020. And the ones in between were a nicer experience, I would say, you know, so all very different, all very unique. And when it came to the fourth concussion, like I say, it really was impacting my daily living and for a lot longer than I had with the previous ones. And I found it really interesting. I'd struggle. So say, for example, I really struggled going down the stairs. I'd find it quite visually very overwhelming. I'd need to pause and take a break and sit down and then keep going. And I remember saying to my physio, why is this? This is so silly. And she sort of thought about it. Oh, you know, let's try this and got me to do a few tests 
gave me some really simple eye exercises based on what the tests were. And in like two weeks, I could walk down my stairs without any issue. And I thought, I want to know what you know. (laughs) Yeah, There's something about my brain that you get that I don't, and that fascinates me. And so that is what really started that curiosity. And then the piece that I found most frustrating in my brain injuries as an adult, I have had two concussions as a child, but was the communication piece. I struggled with speech. I struggled with understanding, writing and reading, but not really to a level that it was picked up, but to a level that it was still impacting me every day. And I didn't understand how to work on that, how to rehab that. And that's where I stepped into the speech and language pathology. That was the one that I was like, I really want to get this. And I really want to help other people in their road so that their journey is a bit smoother. They can feel a bit more connected more quickly and not have to go through the bumbling that I felt like I'd sort of needed to go through. Yeah. Let's come back a little bit further first, because that's, yeah, I love love the way that you phrased all of that. I think that makes a lot of sense that, it, yeah, those underlying things that you can't even really fully put your finger on, but they're really bothering you, like how to help those. Mm-hmm. And then you found help and now you're like, okay, let's help other people with this. I think that's awesome. Were you doing all of the agriculture stuff in New Zealand? Is that, that's where you were like raised? Uh, yes. I'm born in England and then from 11 years old onwards. Uh, okay. New Zealand. Yeah. Okay. All right. And that, and that's a really interesting career path as well. What, what got you interested in that? Mm, uh, ironically, actually, the two careers I was choosing between was nursing, which is so funny that I've come back to health. Yeah. Um, so nursing and equine. I love horses. I volunteered a lot with riding for disabled. As a teenager, like any spare moment after school during weekends, you'd find me at the stables doing something. I loved it. And so that's what started it. And I spoke to a few people in the industry and they gave me the recommendation of like, hey, look, I'd hire you for the same price today as I would in three years with a degree in equine science. And someone said, what I would do is I do agricultural science because you can then go into so many areas. And if you want to still come into equine, you can, but doing it the other way around is really challenging. And so I said, okay, I don't really know what agriculture is, but sounds great. And a week before my degree started, I changed my major and I learned so much. I had no idea what was going on the first day. I used Google to translate so many things. (laughs) And um, actually, I really enjoyed it. And it was great advice for them because I would have never found the passion in soil. It was only through doing the degree that I noticed more and more. I was like, this is pretty cool. This is the foundation of everything that we do when it comes to agriculture and equine. And uh, yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. Okay. So then, and you, and let's go ahead and jump into the concussion story a little bit. So you, while you were doing this job is when you had these four concussions in the space of two years, you said, Um, and were they, I guess you said you'd had concussions as a child. What did you know about concussions? Was it like, oh, I know that this is going to be a hard thing to deal with? Or was it just kind of like a lot of people go into a concussion or, you know, after having had a concussion, they're like, ah, it's not a big deal. I should be better in a few days. And for a lot of people, that is the case, which is really good, (laughs) but not everybody. So tell us, yeah, kind of what your experience was with these concussions and how you approached it. I would love to say I was so self-aware and I did this and that's not at all. Like the first one (laughs) with the horse, 
I honestly didn't know much of anything about concussions. I, I knew people kind of get it in rugby and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I had been diagnosed with a concussion. I, I was having quite a few symptoms. Like my memory was poor. My coordination was really poor. In conversations, there was a lot going on, very headachy, very fatigued. And so it was picked up and I went to the doctor and he said, right, you can't work at all for the week. In agriculture, things are very seasonal. And this was the middle of our spring, which is our busiest time of the year. And I can be a bit stubborn. It's a strength, but it's also a weakness. I acknowledge it. In this case, it was a weakness because I just remember leaning into him and I said, that's great. I'm not prepared to do that. The most I'm willing to negotiate with you on is that I work five days a week. And that's (laughs) as far as I'm going. And he was just like, okay then and saw how stubborn I was on it and put on my medical certificate five days a week for five days and then I said and then I will be going back to full-time work thank you (laughs) and And, um, I just took the attitude it's like a cold and with a cold you feel pretty rough for two or three days but if you trip through you come out the other side and the body's all good. And throughout the course of the week, concussion humbled me significantly. I learned that that is not how they work. <laughs> it just, it got more and more challenging. And I'm really grateful that by Thursday, uh, the manager of, of the place where I worked, so not my manager, but he kind of ran the whole thing, came into my office and said, how are you? And I said, I'm good. And he said, no, no, like, how are you? <laughs> I just burst into tears like that question looked into my soul I knew what he was asking and I couldn't cover it up at that point and it was just a full ugly cry and he was really good he had had experience with rugby he was this really like rough but such loving guy mm-hmm. and he straight away said I'm calling your manager you are no longer working and you will be going straight to the hospital he knew the doctor that he wanted me to see based wow. on his prior experiences in rugby and the receptionist, bless her, took the day off. So they got someone to cover reception at our busiest time of the year because we're in the country, we're quite far from the city. And she drove my car all the way into the city, walked into the hospital. And I was just like, she will tell you she's fine. She is not. And we are not leaving until we see so-and-so. And I stood there like a little school kid. And sure, <laughs> they made it work because just the, her energy and her manner is very much like, this is what we're doing. Sad. I am not leaving until this happens and I'm just so grateful at the time it was so hard because they were seeing deficits that I was aware of but I was hoping others weren't seeing Mm. and that really started my way to be able to understand you know that doctor then assessed me and sat me down and was like you have a severe concussion like you really need to take this seriously and I think I, I needed to go through that to hear it and even then I think it was really still three more concussions until I finally was like, oh, okay, I really need to meet my body where it is. It's, it still took a few more lessons, but that was the beginning of my education. Oh man. Yes. And that, I think there are probably a lot of people listening who can relate to this because it is, it's so hard to accept or believe. And yeah, like, yeah. And again, that yeah. self-awareness piece and there's so much to this. So it makes a lot of sense that it was, it took some time <laughs> to figure it out. <laughs> yes. Yes. And what a blessing to have such amazing people around you who were willing and able to take those steps to help you out. That's pretty awesome. Were you living by yourself? Like, did you have people that were home and around you that were recognizing things as well? Or, or was it just because this person at work knew what he was seeing because he'd experienced it? So at the time I was living with four other people 
all lovely. And one of the boys actually had had a really significant concussion that had, you know, put his life on hold a little bit for a year. And so that was a really good resource. He was the one that insisted I go to the doctor initially. Mm. And my doctor at the time, I just moved city. So my doctor was a two and a half hour driveway and he took the day off. He drove me all the way because he didn't want me driving. He sat outside for that 15 minute appointment and he drove me all the way back. So I was really lucky that I had people like that. But also I think if I'm being transparent, when I look back, I had that tough kind of shield. So I didn't necessarily let him give me any more advice than I was willing to accept at that moment. And um, he was a beautiful soul that wasn't kind of going to push things. And so they would get me groceries sometimes where needed, but I was really strongly trying to be fiercely independent mm-hmm. and and not to let that pain be seen. And so I think for me, it was such a gift that the manager at work, he's senior to me in that situation. Mm-hmm. He has that authority to go, this is what's happening. That you know, This isn't actually a discussion. This is what we're doing. And it was really hard, but I think it was what was needed because all of my life, I sort of been mind over matter. What matters is the mind um, <laughs> without factoring in that when the mind is injured, maybe that's an unfair expectation. <laughs> Maybe we bring a bit of love and compassion. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. uh, That is beautiful. (laughs) Very, very well said there. I love that. Okay. So that kind of got you a little bit more aware of what was going on. And then you had these other concussions along the way. Do you want to share more about each of those? Or do you want to just kind of talk about the concussion experience in general? I'm good. I'd love to share more about the fourth one, I think, because I mean, there's it's it's so hard sometimes to share the brain injury journey when it comes to multiple concussions because there's just so many things. But the the second and the third were different experiences in the sense it wasn't as uh, turning over my life for such a significant piece. The fourth one uh, at that point, I was in a different flat. And I was really lucky I was in the flat that I was in at this point. Again, I was still living with four other people. And my good friend, Josh, he was very good about going, you're not driving. Because medically, I hadn't necessarily been told not to drive. And I said that to him. I said, the doctor has deemed I'm fine. So thank you. for." And he said, I don't care what the doctor says. You're not driving. If you need to get anywhere as a flat, we'll get you there. And so that was that was good. I actually needed that. I needed someone to, from a really loving place, be like, we're still supporting you. We will get you where you need to be as a family, as a flat. But until you're deemed fit to go back to work in some capacity, we're not comfortable with you driving. And so that was a really lucky flat for me to be in that one because I had care. I had social connection. Uh, You know, flatmates made meals for me. They did groceries for me. And Mm -hmm. so even though life felt so limited in the 10 minutes of capacity I had in a day, I could go down and be with some of my best friends and like really fill my cup up. So very, very grateful to be based there when that happened. I just have to throw this out here. I love your perspective and the gratitude that you have. I think that makes like that makes recovery and every part of a hard thing better. So I think that's really beautiful. Tell me about the, like you said, you had 10 minutes of capacity in a day. What was your life looking like at this point? Because yeah, you had you had the concussion and then you had a couple other concussions and then you had this another bigger one, which you said was through was it, were you skydiving. What were you doing? 
Yeah, let me add context to that. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit more about that. What happened exactly? <laughs> not as dramatic as it sounds, I promise. So basically, with each concussion, it got to a point where the doctor said, "You're young, you're fit, go have fun," and I would take that quite literally. <laughs> and after the third one, he said, "Okay, let's just take a year off fun stuff, right?" And I said, "Okay." So I took a year off. May thirty first was my cutoff for that. I think like June tenth someone came up to me and said, Taya, do you want to do skydiving? And I was like, oh, and they said, it's free. And I was like, absolutely. Tell me more. (laughs) And uh, it was for charity, which is a great cause, and high adrenaline, which is great interest in my books. And um, that ended up being July 26th was the day. And in my mind, I'm young. I'm fit. Go have fun. You know, this is what I've been told. And the parachute came out slightly abnormally, to I've done skydiving before with no issues, but when I came out, this one, the whiplash was significant. I had bruising. You could see that where the straps on the harness were on the bruising on my body. And so it was a significant, and whether it was in combination with the concussions leading up to that and the years before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the imp- I remember after that, we went to go and have lunch with some people and I was just staring at the menu and none of the words were making sense. I didn't know what aphasia was at that time, but I... I remember the man being like, geez, you're a bit bloody slow, aren't you? Like over the counter, because I was taking such a long time to just read like a Mexican, you know, taco menu. And I just, I'll just have what they're having and pointed to my friend because I just couldn't understand anything that was there. So it was reasonably soon after that I started to notice all these things kind of accumulating and culminating. Can't actually remember what your original question was to that. So you're good. Mind? <laughs> yeah, no, that was that, I was curious about what how that came about, what happened. Um, and yeah. interesting that it that you noticed things right away. Were there neck issues? Was there pain associated with this as well, like from the whiplash? I think more in terms of like referred pain, migraines. Mm. Yeah, and so much brain fog and fatigue. Oh, that's right. How did my life look like after? So the next day is where. I really, I think I was sort of thinking, oh, I've just had a big day. The day it happened, I thought, I've just had a big day. It's a lot of energy. We'll see. But the next day it hit me and I remember just kind of falling to the kitchen floor in tears because I was like, man, this is so far behind where I've ever been before. And it took so long to get back from mm. that first horse one as an adult. But just just trying to read anything, like I remember trying to follow the instructions, like cut up a carrot. And that took me honestly 20 or 30 minutes because I'd have to translate the word but I could only translate one word at a time and so by the time I'd read cut and translate that and then go to the next one I'd forget and there's a lot of factors you've got to know that a knife is needed to cut and you've got to go find the knife you've got to find the carrot and so eventually I'm getting pens and underlining things okay cut cut and (laughs) trying to hold on to that as much as possible whilst I went to get the knife and it just I was aware that that was a task that would previously be really simple and that was quite confronting. To put capacity in kind of a frame, I guess, I wrote in my journal week eight that my biggest wins for the day, and I remember crying when I wrote this because I was so excited at like the sense of freedom that this gave me, but I had microwaved a meal. That's a lot of noise and I have to go downstairs and do that. So that was a lot of energy. So I microwaved a meal. I ate it in dim light. Up until that point, I'd mostly been eating my meals in the darkness and just kind of feeling for where the food was going because it was just too much to do at once. And I had a 10-minute shower because I love showers, but showers are noisy. (laughs) 
and you've got to stand up. And the and hot water is draining as well. Like there's a lot to it. Yeah. Exactly. There's a lot going on. There's normally a bathroom fan going on as well. So I'd often turn the light off and just apologize to my flatmates. It's just going to be foggy and we can just live with it. But to me, that always my heart goes out to myself in that moment because for eight weeks on to those be the biggest wins and to like to be crying about how exciting that was, it was quite limited, I would say. That's very eye-opening and I think really helpful for people to hear that this is what it can do. And this was mm-hmm. this was a concussion. It wasn't like a yeah. severe brain injury. It was a, what they call a mild traumatic brain injury, but it is traumatic and it's not mild when it's like when you look at life in that situation. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, how did you had you gone to a doctor at this like up to this point? I assume you said you did go to a doctor after this last one, right? Like, What that, kind of help were you getting, if any? Tell me how that looked. That, that doctor that uh, my colleague had walked me in to the hospital with on that first concussion saying she will see this person. Mm-hmm. I mean, we became best buds by that point because, you know, I just was like a boomerang patient. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so luckily I had his support, which was, which was great and appreciated. I will say at the fourth concussion uh so how it works in new zealand uh which is quite different to the states so we have sort of a publicly funded uh i guess insurance if you have accident and injuries you're automatically covered by this you don't pay any extra or anything into it it's called acc and how acc works is your doctor will give you a certificate to say how many hours you can work or not and then they'll meet your salary up until 80 percent for the hours you can't do Now, up until this point, I thought that whatever the doctor said was what I had to do. That was that was it. And with this fourth concussion, it was so much more challenging than I thought. And I was trying to really like push to get back to work. So the medical certificate I had, I just physically couldn't do it. And I felt awful about it. I felt really guilty that I wasn't able to meet what we'd agreed. And so I called ACC and I said, I'm so sorry. I I don't know what to do, but this is just, it's not feasible. And I started crying and the guy was so sweet. He was like, this is a conversation between you and your doctor. I said, what? And he said, well, you guys discuss it together. And then you come up with something together, but it's fluid. If we put you up in hours and you're not coping, we can put you down with it. I said, really? Like no one explained this to me. (laughs) And then he also said, would you like me to refer you for concussion services? I said, well, what is that? (laughs) And he's like, oh, that's where we add occupational therapy, speech and language, you know, whatever you might need, physio. And up until that point, I hadn't, I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So my healthcare that I'm really grateful for. And there's some things that I think there's opportunity for improvement. And some of it is that that conversation with a patient that, hey, this is a discussion, you know, we can work this out together on what your hours look like. It's Mm -hmm. fluid if needed. And also, if you feel you need it, there is this whole team that specializes in concussion and has different health professionals in concussion. And you can access that if you need to. That would have been cool. (laughs) Yes, that would have been good to know. Where, how far out did you have this conversation after that fourth injury? I think maybe that might have been about week five or six-ish. Okay. Yeah. And that so, is where my 
I don't know if case, not case manager, but the health professional that sort of coordinated everyone was this beautiful OT and she is so cool. And we are friends now because she's just like such a beautiful human. And it made such a difference having her be able to even just validate and empathize, but then also go, hey, look, these are opportunities we can support. These are different team members we could bring in. Awesome. Love that. Love that she was an OT. Just say, yeah, <laughs> that makes me happy. Um, but I, that's so important, I think, especially for someone who was so severely impacted by this, who like th- that executive functioning piece of planning and organizing and figuring out who you need to see and when and how, like all of that is so hard for someone who's had a concussion. So it's really awesome that you had somebody who was able to help coordinate that. Mm. Um, that's, that's a big deal. And I so, think as well, someone understanding that just understanding the common challenges you can have with brain injury and the why behind it. And as a health profession, what supports are in place to be able to hold space for that and actually support you in your journey. Because for me, I just didn't know. And I often think like my my dad is an occupational therapist. My mom is a speech and language therapist. And I didn't know. It took me two and a half years into concussions to find the word aphasia. I was reading a book and I was like, this, my gosh, I thought these were random, weird things in my brain. This makes sense. And then I could Google, how can I help improve this? But that really saddens me that I actually have quite, I guess, a medical background for the everyday person compared to maybe some other people. And the fact it took me that long to find certain terms that were really helpful or certain supports, I think there's more opportunity for us to do well as a health profession and like podcasts like this and things like that, just to help raise awareness and share knowledge, I think is so important. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> I feel like, cause you're, you're exactly right there, especially this seems like it's such a, a niche, like it's, there's not a lot of professionals that get a lot of training in this specifically. Um, there, it's usually like a broadly, like maybe they'll gloss over it kind of thing. Um, but there's so much to it and so many people yeah. experience it. And yet it's just not out there. So yes, that's one of the things I'm hoping to get with this podcast, like put the news out there. Hey guys, you're not crazy. This is a real thing. And here's some of the yeah. things you're dealing with. And why don't, why don't you explain to, in case people don't know what aphasia is, can you tell us what aphasia is? Yeah, I would love to. And you can you can help add if I miss anything. Um, but aphasia is where one can struggle with their communication. And that can look like struggling with speaking, struggling with understanding spoken language, struggling with reading, and struggling with writing. And also can sometimes be struggling around numbers. And it can look like all of that. It can look like some of that. And it can be really, really unique to the person. And It's a really, really interesting one, but it can be quite isolating if you are struggling with aphasia and you don't necessarily understand or know what it is or know how your friends and family can support you in that. And the key thing with aphasia as well is it doesn't reflect someone's intelligence. So that can be what can be so frustrating is that the thoughts are there. The intelligence is there. The words are in your head. It's just about getting them out. And that's where the isolation can be so significant. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's that accessing it. That is that's such an excellent point. And thank you for for explaining that for us. Um, and, but and I I think it's a really good point too that the intelligence is there. It's the it's the access to it, and that's part of what can be helped by doing. There are things that can help with these things. It's not just this is the rest of your life. There there are things that you can do, and therapies and rehab 
exercises that will help. So tell us a little bit about how those different therapies that you ended up doing were helpful or what other what other treatment options you tried. Like what what did you try? What was helpful? Maybe what wasn't helpful? So specifically for aphasia, I've never had anything formal other than kind of self-done. So that's an easy one to comment and park on. Um, <laughs> but I would have loved on reflection to have had someone come in early and be able to explain that to me and empower that for me. So the key for me was, first of all, understanding and being able to have that compassion for myself to go, okay, this is like actually a thing. It's okay that you struggle with this. Mm. But I found that a lot easier to do when I understood what it was and I saw the connections between all these things that I thought were really random. (laughs) And then it gave me more confidence to try. And if I was really brain fatigued and I was really struggling with speaking or understanding, I then had some language to go, hey, could you repeat that again? Or, oh, tangling over my words today, let me try that again. You know, I felt better to just bring other people in. Didn't necessarily have to explain everything, but I was more comfortable to try. And then Lately, as it's gotten better and better over time, it's not like an every conversation thing. It's uh, it's nowadays, and I'd say the last sort of um, 18 months maybe, unless I'm really tired or if I'm in a situation which is would be deemed as high stress. Mm-hmm. So whether that's a meeting that I'm finding quite intimidating or something like that, um, well, interestingly, actually working with patients with aphasia, nowadays I can do quite well, but two years ago, that was a fun circus because I really, really, really struggled, which was great because they got access to, it's okay to stuff up. You know, we can just keep going. It's all good. So I was trying to think, I was trying to think, how can I, how can I start strengthening my skills in high stress situations when I don't really have those in everyday life? How can I curate that? And then I came up with what I thought was a genius idea and I still do, Um, which was improv comedy. Because improv comedy, you've got an audience, you've got an expectation to be funny, you have no idea what anyone's saying. And to be honest, no one has any idea what they're saying because it's all made up in the moment. And there's a lot of noise and light and there's a lot of stimulus and a lot of pressure and it can be easy for your body to feel like it is stressful. But the Mm. great thing is, nothing matters. If you stuff up, it literally, there is no consequence. So it was like the best playground for me to just get used to that and practice that. And it's been really, really helpful. I've done that for a year now and it's just been awesome. That is amazing. I love, I love this. All right, guys, everybody out there, therapy option, improv comedy. Yeah. (laughs) That's actually quite brilliant. I'm with you. That's a very good idea. I like, yeah, that's just funny because my, like just thinking about doing improv comedy, makes me feel like I'm in a high stress situation. <laughs> that right? is not, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's intense. That's kind of what I was looking for, mm. but there's no consequence. There's no consequence. Like, yeah. Versus if you're in a meeting or a medical meeting where you really need to advocate for yourself and that's where you struggle to get your words out, you know, the consequences, you might not get the care that you know you need or the consequences, you might be labeled down with anxiety or something sort of brushed off. So there are consequences, but something like improv is like, it's all good. I love that. And that's bringing up for me. I listened to, maybe it was, I think it was an article that I read. There was a woman who was very into improv and she, she talked about, 
the idea of yes and like with mm-hmm. it, whatever comes up you go with it you're like yes and then this and you get to be creative but you get to you learn to go with the flow of things and I imagine that is probably another helpful thing like it takes there's no pressure because it, the, nothing's like structured and has to be a certain way anyway but then but then you learn that skill of going with whatever comes at you and that's a valuable thing too so and on that it's been so valuable for me I didn't realize until I started diving into improv that I think actually there was quite a bit of shame every time I did struggle with stumbling over my words or saying one thing. what was most common for me was using a word that made sense but wasn't what I wanted as an example my last ever session on farm before I thought, okay, I'm going to pursue the brain stuff. And this was why, because I turned to this farmer and I said, your wife is so hairy. (laughs) What did you mean? I meant lovely. (laughs) I'm sorry, that is amazing. (laughs) Right? Did you, did you know it when you said it? Were you like, that was not what I wanted to say or what? By his face, by his face by his face okay because, understandably he was like you know the way I said that really sounded like a compliment but the words just didn't just didn't add up so and, um, amazing. I have gotten myself in some really weird situations with that exact problem is that I have very fluent aphasia so often yeah. what I say if you're listening you probably think weird word choice but okay but that, that is not what I meant at all someone asked where I'm from once. And I said, I'm from Wellington. So fluently without hesitation. Capital city in New Zealand. Never lived there. Never thought of living there. I have no desire to live there. And before I could really process and then try and work out how to explain, because it was said so fluently, how to go, hey, actually, that's that's, that's not the case. <laughs> this lady got so excited. And she said, oh, Janine's from Wellington. I'll just go and get her. She'll love this. And she ran off and I sat there and, and I was like, okay. And then this lady came and she came in. She's like, oh, whereabouts did you live? I said, oh, by the uni. Oh, amazing. How long were you there for? What was your favorite place to eat? What were you doing? I left this conversation with an entire alias. That's amazing. <laughs> and so that, like, that is good because sometimes you can get away with it but also it's so frustrating when a conversation moves on before you can catch or before I know how to explain what happened there to someone that doesn't know brain injury because I'm saying it so confidently and I think the gift that improv gave me is I didn't realize how much shame and frustration was attached every time that happened in a way that was really obvious particularly with people I didn't know and I was performing once and uh, we were playing this this game which is very confusing because every you know 15 seconds you rotate and change into a completely different time role characters I mean it's a brain workout I believe it good and I was tired I went to say something and it literally like not a syllable was part of a word it was just drunken garble (laughs) with so much energy and I was really embarrassed because obviously I meant to say words but the great thing about improv is but did I and my teammate was so cool because I had said to him I said hey FYI I'm really brain tired I just want to let you know. And he knew that that meant that some random things might come out. And he ran with that so quickly. And that whole 
skit, I didn't get a single word. I tried, but everything was just drunken garble. And he just made it into this great thing that was like empowering, hilarious, funny. And that was such a moment for me. It was quite emotional because I just felt so held. But I also saw that actually it doesn't matter. Like my presence brought so much value regardless of whether it was perfect, regardless of whether it was intended. And I think I've had so much confidence flowing on that if I am in moments where I jumble my words, I just move on or I acknowledge it, but it doesn't bring up all that emotion of all the other times that that has happened to me. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't intentional, but it's been a real gift from it. Oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. And Definitely not what I would have guessed would come from improv, <laughs> that, but I, I really appreciate you sharing that. I think that's such a powerful lesson. Like, And I love the thing that you said at the beginning too, is that knowing what it was and being able to have self-compassion for you is what allowed you to give the confidence to move forward <laughs> and yeah. try these things and then gain this, this self-awareness and, and compassion. And I love what you said that your just your presence was what was was adding to it <laughs> regardless of what you was actually coming out of your mouth like yeah. your, your presence there was important and added and was beautiful like i think that's such an important lesson i think everybody in the whole world needs to hear that <laughs> thank you for sharing that that's really really awesome so okay so you you did the improv comedy <laughs> was one of your yeah. therapies that was surprising for me to hear but what else did you try what else have you done okay. for you? then we had the more conventional things so i had a lot of physio input for the the two concussions that impacted me a lot more. That was really helpful. I also had neuro optometry. My eyes really struggled to work together for that, you know, looking close, looking far. And that neuro optometry was a game changer for me because it really, it helps yeah. things that hadn't really made sense. What did I have? Uh, neuropsych input, looking at where my cognitive level was, and that was more just as reference points. I didn't have a huge amount of input in terms of uh, rehabilitation, which actually would have been really cool to have. Uh, I've had chiropractors. I've done a couple of alternative modalities. There's something called Neurolink. I know it's definitely in New Zealand. I don't know if it's elsewhere. That was amazing. That was recommended to me again by um, a rugby coach. And any of his rugby boys that get concussions, they go to Neuralink straight away. And that was um, really helpful. I can't what really do they do What does that look like? <laughs> I don't know how to explain it per se. It's, I'm not sure, but it was just phenomenally accurate. And I didn't really tell this lady anything. I just walked in and, you know, said Joe Bloggs had sent me there. And she, and I'd had a concussion and she was like, Okay, so some things I can see you're struggling with is picking when a car, the distance of cars, when to pull out at a corner, um, how you're crossing a road, like these things that were so specific and that I hadn't articulated. But I said, I am. I'm, I'm standing at the roadside till there's no cars anywhere to be seen because I can't calculate the distance, you know, which can take a long time if it's rush hour traffic. <laughs> and... But my understanding is it's like the neural pathways and they sort of do muscle testing and put their hands on certain points on your body and use your arm to muscle test and give information. Yeah. To be transparent, I don't 100% understand how it works. But what I will say is the level of detail and the accuracy and what was relayed to me was mind boggling. Did they yeah. give you exercises to do or was it like, how did they work on you? So they would kind of, they would then say if something was identified, they'd tap in a specific way until that muscle testing 
showed strong Mm. and then that would sort of be that but for me I the first time I went I'd been told block out an hour because you'll need to sleep and luckily I didn't have much on at that point because life was very fatiguing in general but that was the first thing I did in the morning and then I slept pretty much all day because my brain was just but I did notice a massive improvement so that was quite interesting and then I've since moved cities and had a different practitioner and somewhat different experience around uh noticing the impact and so that's interesting whether it's person specific or not I'm not sure and I feel like those maybe are the main things so like physio occupational therapy chiropractor GP did you have a speech language pathologist that you saw did you see speech no so I did try to raise a couple of times with my doctor like I am really struggling with speech again I didn't have the understanding to explain it because I just thought these were weird things in isolation and so the response would be oh yeah you know I forget words too sometimes and just brush off and not ask any more questions whereas what I would love to see is the question of tell me how often does that come up for you what's the impact that's you know just digging a little bit deeper because everyone does forget words sometimes that's okay that's normal but the question is more like how often is that impacting you how much is it impacting and how yeah how much is it affecting your functionality in your life yeah yes I would have loved that and can you just tell us a little bit more just I I feel like we should hear what do you like what were the things that you were noticing that you wish they would have asked more about like if now that you can put a finger on it what was it that was happening that was so challenging with communication it was reading reading (laughs) I know yeah, reading. Um, for me, a lot that frustrated me was the speech, the comprehension. All of them I struggled with. So I was a nutrient specialist. So I worked with nutrients all the time. And I remember trying to write in an email phosphorus, which starts with a pH. And I had no idea. <laughs> I just sat there. In the end, I had to ask my colleague, how do you start it? And she looked at me. Are you serious? I said, yeah, no, genuinely. And she said, P. And I said, okay. I said that and, and what letter comes next <laughs> and after that and after I just had no idea how to do it but that improved a lot more significantly than say the speech and getting out the speech in circumstances which are more complex so for me it was speech a big one and I think as well some comprehension in terms of the longer term yeah okay I yeah. would have loved there and also just around executive functioning and understanding I will say the OT I had was really awesome with helping with those things and the the difference of my experience returning to work from the first one that I had a significant amount of time off to this to the fourth concussion where I had significant time off was huge because the first time as well-intentioned as my colleagues were um, there wasn't necessarily the understanding that when I take a brain break, I'm not being lazy or I haven't just come back from a holiday. So there were a lot of comments that were meant in jest, but actually I was having a really awful time and I didn't know how to explain it. And it, it made it quite challenging on reflection. Mm. The fourth time, there was a bit of anxiety about returning to work for those reasons. And also that this concussion was impacting me so much more. And my OT was cool. She was like, well, how about? I come in and we run a workshop. And I said, oh, well, do you mind doing that? She said, absolutely. And I said, well, do you mind doing it without me in the room? Because I want them to be able to ask questions that might seem 
insensitive or inconsiderate, but that they're curious about. And I am too charged at the moment. I'll probably cry and I don't want them to think it's a bad question. Would you be happy running that? She said, definitely. So we made a sheet and a program together and we got together maybe five or seven people at work that was sort of key and they were gorgeous. It was really showing. It was just the education and the understanding because as soon as they came out, one of the ladies said, Taya, I've been thinking the room down the end of this building here, if I put some paper on the windows for you, we could get some pillows. Are you happy for that as your brain break room? Like, would that be helpful for you? You know, They so wanted to support. They just didn't necessarily have the tools how and having an OT go in and, and do that was such a gift. That's really beautiful. I'm sorry. I'm so emotional. I'm going to throw this out there. I'm, this is my excuse. I'm pregnant. So <laughs> I, I, I just, I cry quickly, but that is like the sweetest thing. I love, I love everything about that. I love that she was willing to do that and that your colleagues were so open to it. And again, like just the education piece, when you have a little bit of understanding, it goes such a long way, such a long way <laughs> towards yeah. not judging, towards not like thinking, you know, when you don't have any idea and you just see someone acting in a way that doesn't make sense. You just make up what you think and what what you have been exposed to in the past. Like this, yeah, this is just so beautiful. <laughs> I love, really, really love this and love that they were so open to wanting to help you. It's such a beautiful thing. And and it actually kind of leads to, a, I think, a really important question that I want to ask people. I should be asking this more in, in these interviews, but how do you explain it to people at this point? Or like, if you could go back in time, how would you tell yourself to explain it to your colleagues? Or would you do something different? How how do you approach this now? Yeah. I think it's quite different now and since my energy towards it is different. So then I was learning as well. And so it was, it was emotional to communicate it. It was really hard to communicate it and it felt inauthentic. Not that it was, but it just, you know, if I had someone come up to me like, Hey, every half hour, I'm going to go lie down for 10 minutes at work. That feels a bit lazy, (laughs) but Now, I guess I'm so much more grounded in it. And I'm also great because people around me are so used to it. But when I travel as well, I take a brain break and brain break is the best thing. And what I explain, if it needs explaining, sometimes it doesn't. But I say, hey, I've had a brain injury. A lot of brain injury is invisible. And so whilst you may not be able to see it, a lot of it can go on. That might be light sensitivity, noise sensitivity, fatigue, headache. For me, the left side of my face goes numb when my battery gets pushed too far. Explain that to me. I don't know. But all of these things you can't see, but I can feel. And so with that in mind, I'm grounded in the fact of going, hey, I'm going to take a brain break or ideally where possible. As an example, I have a conference this weekend I also have a back injury currently, which is um, needing some of my attention. So with that, I said to them, hey, I have a back injury. I'm so excited to be there. Is there a space I can go and rest my back when needed? And it will depend on the day, how it tracks, what I need to do. And so I just, if I can, I try and pre-frame it. Mm. And I try and understand like, what is the environment like? Or my favorite question is, what is the earliest? So what is the earliest you're arriving? I don't care if you're half an hour late. I have an extra half an hour for brain break. Be as late as you want. But please do not arrive 10 minutes early when I have factored those 10 minutes into my brain capacity, you know? Mm. And so there's questions like that I've learned. What's the earliest? Or 
for some things I might be like maybe what's the longest if I'm going to go for dinner and someone wants me there the whole time what's the longest it will go and then I can assess okay that's going to be on my capacity I'm going to head off after 45 minutes if I feel good I might stay longer and it means that in the moment I can be a lot more grounded but I do also acknowledge there's a lot less emotional charge around it for me because I've had so much practice at doing it I've you know, I've laid down on ferry floors and had people scoff at me because, you know, what am I doing on a midday boat ride? That's fine. I need a break. So I've had lots of exposure to being able to accept that that's where my body is and that's where it's accepted. But I think what I would say to someone that's just starting out is that your body has symptoms to communicate with you. It's the only language your body has. And I know that it can be so hard and it can be so frustrating when you're wanting to go so much further in that moment. But I would encourage someone to start observing what are those first kind of signals. So for me, if my face goes numb, I've gone too far. But if I start getting noise and light sensitive, that's probably a really good time for me to assess, hey, maybe I take a break. I can come back from that a lot easier. So I think just being more in tune with your body and then trusting the cues that your body gives you, even if it might be hard for the heart to step out and take that break. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing that. That actually, the last podcast that I posted last week is about the gauge system, like knowing what your, what it looks like, what your signals are, what your body symptoms are when it's trying to communicate to you. And yeah, there's usually one that's okay. Now I know I've gone too far. <laughs> I'm going to have the shutdown mode here soon. And then like just being aware of what your body, how your body communicates to you and paying attention to it and listening to it and taking those brain breaks when you need to, like that is all so important. So thank you for sharing that. And if anybody listening wants to go back and listen to that one, it's uh, about, it's called the gauge system. So listen, listen to that one, but that is, it's a huge, it's a huge tool (laughs) to help with managing symptoms and, and your capacity. It extends your capacity if you can be proactive instead of reactive to your symptoms and and how things are going. So I just, I love that you know your limits and that you have your own back. Like that's huge. And it it makes sense to me that it would take some time to get to that point. So having compassion along the way is important, but how do you decide who to tell these kinds of things to like, and when, like if you're laying on the ferry floor and people are scoffing, I assume those are not the people that you're going to have that heart to heart with and say, this is what's going on for me. Or, or is it like, how do you know? Who do you talk? It totally depends. I mean, at that point, I was totally oblivious. It was I was on a road trip with my friend's family, and my friend's dad afterwards said, "Gosh, you know, we got some, <laughs> we got some comments about you." And I was like, oh, "Okay," um, but to be honest, in that moment, I don't think I would have had the emotional capacity. My body was physically really, really struggling. So it depends. It also depends. Sometimes I just acknowledge that people don't have the understanding and sometimes their behavior is not from a place of being malicious, but it's just naivety. And so if I pick that up, then I may spend so much energy explaining, but then also just come back to myself and be like, I need this. And actually it doesn't really impact them too much. Like I'm just going to be absent, but there's a hundred other people here. Like it's fine. (laughs) Um, But often I find people are really helpful. I think as well, I'm quite open about it. Uh, So it does make it easier because it's not something that I, I mean, I share about it on social media. So that is helpful. But the main tool for me, if I can, is pre-planning. So I recently went to a conference in Singapore and I emailed the team and I said, hey, 
is there going to be any possibility of a space that I could break? Uh, It's okay if there's not. I'm just working out my plan. And if possible, are you able to send the agenda to me ahead of time? Again, it's okay if not. So I'm not demanding, but I'm just like, if you could help. They were beautiful. They sent me the agenda. They're like, they said, here's a room you can use. Here's someone's number. This is your contact person for registration. Yeah. Don't wait in line. Just call, just call him and he'll come and give you your your thing, you know? So I already knew going in, there's that sense of safety and I had backup plans and I had my brain break bag with snacks and pillows and all of that. So a lot for me is the pre-planning because then I can go in and be comfortable and I can listen to my body. I'm not thinking in the moment. And also the people are already somewhat aware. So I'm not springing it on them in a moment. Like, hey, I know you're expecting me to be here and help, but actually I'm going to leave right now. You know? (laughs) Yeah. No, that's brilliant. I love all of those ideas. I think that's so important. And I think it might be helpful for, if you wouldn't mind sharing what you have in your brain break bag, what are the snacks and the things that are most helpful for you? And, and also what is, what have you found to be the best, like most helpful strategies to help de-stim and kind of calm, Mm. calm your system down? Yeah. Brain break bag has evolved. Nowadays, I don't need so much, but my my prime brain break bag, if I'm like going in, you know, all systems would be like a really good pair of earplugs mm-hmm. um, to block sound. I also, I have a now Flare Audio Karma. I love these. I live on these. So those are ones I use in any kind of social situation. So I have that. I will also have I my noise. Is that yeah. a, what is it exactly? So flare audio earbuds, what I love about them is there's some other ones on the market that I find I can't hear as well, which is great. It reduces the noise for my brain, but then I feel like it actually also impacts my participation. Mm-hmm. And I I don't like that. <laughs> um, if I wanted that, I would use my noise-canceling headphones. So right. what I like about these is that the way they're set up is there's a clear hole through the whole thing that goes to your ear canal. So I can hear everyone around me talking well, but the science behind it, I'm not an audiologist, but if you think your um, audio waves are really, really bouncy, it helps smooth them. And so an example I give is when I wear these and I close a cupboard door that would normally make me kind of jump from noise sensitivity, I just hear it close. It doesn't have that same sharpness. So to me, it softens the sounds. And for me, it helps background noise just feels softer. It feels less overwhelming. Mm. And so it gives me more brain juice to be present. And they're really cool. They're quite a minimal investment. They are, um, I think, like 20 pounds for the cheapest one. So I really don't do USD conversion, but I'm translating to pounds to try and be as helpful as possible. <laughs> um, and they came up on a Facebook ad for me. And I was so desperate that I thought, okay, it's it's 20 pounds. I'm just like, you know, and I didn't expect them to help, but they are a gift. So so those are with me everywhere. They live on my car keys in a little capsule. And Can I say the name of them again one more time? Flare Audio. F-L-A-R-E-A-U-D-I-O. And I use the Karma. The Karma Pros are the best but I lost mine. So, so I'm I'm back to my karmas, which oh, is still good. <laughs> the karma pro just gives a little extra level. Um, yeah. Did I mention I have a brain injury? <laughs> <I love it. laughs> okay. Um, 
So, yeah. so yes, I have in my brain bag, I have things for my ears and my hearing, and I generally have three different scales. One, earplugs to completely close out. I have my flare audio, and then I have my noise-canceling headphones. I am currently sitting against a block pillow. I love pillows. So I will have a pillow or two in my brain break bag because I would like to be comfortable. I have an eye mask. I have easy snacks, but like a protein bar is commonly what I'll have because I just don't, I don't want something that's just going to give me a sugar high. I want something that's also going to help sustain and having water and a sachet of electrolytes so I can see if there's anything needed there. That's generally, honestly, my basic brain break bag. Something for the ears, something to be nutritious, something to be hydrating, and something to add a little bit of comfort in a rough time mm. and an eye mask. And nowadays I'm getting more and more capacity, which I'm so grateful for. But the first event I went to after the fourth concussion was like an awards dinner. And I was nominated in these awards, which was a big honor. And I really wanted to be there. Mm. And I had the room closest to where I could possibly be that the organizers, bless them, they'd put it. So I had the least walk. And all I did was show up for 15 minute bursts that, that they would read who was nominated. I didn't stay for any meals. I just ate dried two minute noodles from a packet in darkness in my hotel room. Oh. And um, it was sad, but I could be there. And that was a situation where I really had to maximize my brain break time because I was really struggling. Even just being there for 15 minutes of awards was hard. So I always come back to meditation, breath work, just trying to calm my mind as much as possible because if I'm brain breaking but thinking a lot and stressing a lot, that's actually not really helping. It's not as effective for me. Yeah, so it's not really a break for your brain. <laughs> not really a break. Running. Yeah. Yeah, so like darkness, quiet, meditation, breath work, and setting an alarm so I know I can switch off. I don't have to worry about the time. The alarm can do that. That to me is the most effective and ideally if I can lie down. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, thank you. I think that will be helpful. So I appreciate that. I always like to hear from people what is helpful for them because everybody is a little bit different and it's nice to have lots of ideas. So that's mm. Thank you. And so we're we're kind of coming up at the end of our time. I feel like I could talk to you for hours though. <laughs> um, but tell me, is there anything, any other advice that you would give to people who are early on in their concussion journey, um, things that you would either tell yourself or that you would like to tell them or that you just want people to know about concussions in general? Mm, I think something I wish I had realized earlier is that I was talking to my body as if it was the enemy. And I wish I'd realized earlier that my body was my teammate and that my brain and my body are showing up as best as possible. And sometimes there's rough days, but it's rough days for me and my body too. And that brings a sense of camaraderie. And it also, I find it's easier to bring compassion to yourself rather than resenting the body, um, which I know is so hard to do in the moment, but really like our brains and our bodies are showing up. So I would, my advice to anyone currently in it would just to see your body as your greatest teammate and to write a note or something empowering that when you're having that really rough day, you can just read. For me, it was thank you, body, thank you, brain for showing up every day. And I would read that even if I didn't feel it. <laughs> and by the end of reading it, it would remind me. I think as well, if I was new in the concussion piece is understanding that if people behave in a way that doesn't make sense or doesn't seem helpful, that sometimes it is from that place of naivety and 
maybe you have capacity to educate them or maybe not, but maybe there's someone else in your support team that might be able to. For me, it was my occupational therapist. She jumped in and she did an amazing job where I wasn't able to at that time. And I'm really grateful for that. And I think also like celebrate every single win, like the microwaving the meal, the eating in darkness or dim light and the sharing for 10 minutes. Those were massive wins and they might not be to everyday person, but for me, it was massive. So celebrate that because what you appreciate appreciates. There's a lot of challenge. There's a lot of darkness in the concussion road, but the more we can celebrate the good pieces, just the lighter your day will feel. Amen. I love that. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Oh, those are all of that. That advice is so, so, so good. Thank you for, for sharing that. So tell us if people want to hear more from you. I know you mentioned that you do content creation and brain injury advocacy. What does that look like? What do you, what do you do? And how can people hear more from you? Love that. Um, So what I do, I love making content around brain injury. I also love making content around travel. They are my two passion points. And in my mind, they can merge together perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Brain injury advocacy looks like for me, like sharing on content creation, because to me, awareness is so big. That's where I come back to the naivety is how can we bring that everyday awareness? But also I do speaking things. So, you know, I'm heading up to a conference around disability and getting to run an amazing workshop on social media and branding. And that is about voice as well. I present with the universities with their new clinicians coming up and present around aphasia and brain injury. Just any opportunity I can find where we get to help share it with people that may not have had much exposure before. I do some coaching with people with brain injury, which I absolutely love. And that's about empowering and in that journey from limbo to living and what that looks like. Um, And in terms of how to reach me, my best place to reach me is at Instagram and that's at yourbrainbff or my email, a similar theme is hello at yourbrainbff.com. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here, for sharing all of this, this journey. It sounds like it has been quite a road (laughs) and it looks like you are traveling it beautifully. So thank you so much for sharing all of this with us and for what you're doing. I think as you know, I feel also very strongly getting this word out here is so important. And I, so thanks for everything you're doing and for sharing this with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And I'm just going to take a moment as well to say thank you so much because the the time and the energy you put in behind the scenes, you know, like collating with people, organizing times, but also the space you hold here to meet everyone's journey with such curiosity and such eagerness and compassion is massive. So thank you for that awareness that you are bringing. Thank you. I'm so glad you listened in today. I hope you've gained some helpful insights and inspiration regarding dealing with and recovering from concussions. My goal is to create more awareness and education about concussions and the fact that there is so much that can be done to improve life after someone has had one. Help me spread the message by liking, commenting, rating, and subscribing to this podcast and share it with others who would benefit from hearing it. There are more resources available on my website. And again, if you or someone you love would benefit from concussion coaching, sign up for a free consultation using the link in the show notes or at my website, www.theconcussioncoach.com. Thank you. See you next time and take good care of that amazing brain of yours.